Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Leave the little children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After placing his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to them, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked them. Jesus answered, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, Go sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the, man heard, when the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of an eagle than it is for a, a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter responded to him, See, we have left everything and followed you, so what will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or, or sisters or fathers or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Scott. Um, I don't know if you've done this yet, but I waited till right now to wind my clock back. So I just earned myself an extra hour of preaching. That's, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, and many of you thought, well, we're going to need an extra hour if we're going to cover that many verses. But we'll do a little bit more sort of over-the-top summarying, uh, some, doing some summary stuff as opposed to as much verse-by-verse verse like we normally do. But I thought you would enjoy uh, that little joke. Um, here we go. Uh, as many of you know, we've been preaching through the book of Matthew for quite some time, and Jesus has been dealing with some very difficult things with the disciples and then in turn with us. A couple weeks ago, we looked at forgiveness and how that we are called to forgive on God's terms, not on our terms. And how we are to live that out. Last week we tackled marriage and singleness and divorce. And so how has God called us to live according to his perfect will? 
But again, since sin has entered the world, he shows us mercy and grace through his permitted will. And I would love to say that Jesus eases up on us this week, but he doesn't. Uh, Today, in fact, he doesn't. We're going to look at a very familiar story to some of you of the rich young ruler and how we are called to live in with our possessions and how we're to lay those down before our king. So uh, as we do here, as our custom here at Antioch, before we open up and get into the text, we just take a moment of silence to prepare our hearts. Uh, We ask the Spirit of God to open our ears, to renew our minds, to cause our hearts to be softened. And we acknowledge that during this time of silence, sometimes it can be difficult Sometimes thoughts can sort of bombard your mind. Sometimes you can see your mind racing. So if that happens during this time, just simply pray to yourself, Spirit, give me ears to hear. So let's take just a moment and prepare. Amen. So first we see here in verse 13, Jesus blessing children. We see how he is, the children are coming to hear. He's placing his hands on them to pray. But what happens? Immediately the disciples start rebuking. Immediately the disciples start saying, no, 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 no. Don't interrupt him. Keep the children away. But what does he say in verse 14? He said, no, leave the children alone. Don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In this simple rebuke, Jesus reminds us what he's been saying to us for quite some time throughout the sermons that he's been preaching. How he says over and over, unless you come to me like these little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus welcomes the children in. They're not a distraction to him. They're not an interruption to him. But then we see this man sort of pop on the scene to have this conversation with Jesus. If you look down to verse 16, it says, Just then someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Now here's what we're going to do. We need to take a very close look at the wording of that question. Because what it does is it tells us so much about the rich young ruler and how he thinks. He says, what good must I do to have eternal life? Who is doing the action in that question? The rich young ruler is, right? What good must I do? The ruler is falling into the trap that so many of us have fallen into, and that trap is thinking that one can earn salvation by doing good. What good must I do? We, we said this during confession of sin. There's no amount of good works that you and I could ever do to try to earn salvation. The path to eternal life is not to try to outweigh your bad things by doing enough good things. If you and I have ever committed one sin, we're guilty. And according to Scripture, the wages of that sin is death. 
And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this same way, death has spread to all people because all sinned. In just a few chapters prior to that, we heard him say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But just in case you're like the rich young ruler and you think, no, 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 I'm good to go. Let me ask you this question. Who in here has ever been born? I hope all of us, right? I know sometimes I ask you weird questions and you're like, I don't want to answer yet. But that one was an easy one. Who of us have been born? Well, what did David say in Psalm 51? Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. So there is no amount of good that we can do to earn eternal life. Now, before we tear this guy down though, right? Before we tear him down and go, how how ridiculous of a question that is, I want to give him a little bit of credit. He gets a few things right. First, he acknowledges that Jesus is the good teacher. He knew the source and he knew where to go to ask this question which he believes then Jesus can teach him how to get eternal life. And also, at least, the rich young ruler is acknowledging he does not yet have eternal life. And he needs it. So let's just don't kick him to the curb. Like, yeah, he says some funky stuff, but at least he knows where to go and he knows the right questions to ask, right? But since this ruler is rich... He most likely has been able to get or earn anything he desires in his life thus far. And that's why he's approaching this idea of eternal life this way. It's most likely how he's approached everything in his entire life. I used Frederick Bruner many times during my study. I brought a quote from him. He said, successism, which is not really a word. It's going to be underlined if you try to write out successism. But that's his sort of summation. Successism is the world's God. It cannot coexist with our God, Jesus Christ. But let's look intently again. Not only the question that he asked, but how did Jesus Respond. Look down in verses 17 through 19. Uh, Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then he asked him, well, which ones? Don't murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now watch this. Jesus did not, upon this man coming to him and saying, how do I get eternal life? Jesus didn't pull out a card and ask him, oh, since you asked for eternal life, here, just fill this out and you'll be good to go. Oh, we're already, okay, we're already laughing. You see where I'm going here. Notice that he didn't immediately get him to sort of recite a prayer and then present him to the disciples as saved. Instead, he, instead, he asked him some more questions. So I think that the church needs to see how Jesus interacts with this rich young ruler and follow 
this example. But unfortunately, what we've done as a church is we've relegated salvation to either coming down an aisle, praying a prayer, getting baptized, and we've failed to make sure that the person seeking eternal life is just not following prompts that we as the church have created. We wonder why so many people who have done those things are now living as if Jesus doesn't even exist. I think it's because the church has made salvation into a formula into, rather than into a relationship. We've told people how to be saved. We neglected to tell them who it is that saves them. So this is why Jesus is asking this young man these questions. The rich young ruler wants to get eternal life for himself, but Jesus in his response shows him how to enter into life. See how Jesus worded that? See, salvation is just more than something we get. Salvation is a journey that we travel on. So many times we're guilty of taking a sigh of relief And feeling like, okay, we did it when someone comes to faith in Jesus. But in reality, that's where the moment begins. That's where our call as a church is to come alongside them, to show them how to follow Jesus. We need to view it now as the beginning, not just the ending. And this man still doesn't get it. Even after Jesus goes through the list, do not murder, do not commit adultery, love your neighbor as yourself, instead of of, of submitting himself, instead, instead of humbling himself as Jesus has just proclaimed to come to me as a little child, what do we see the man do in verse 20? I've kept all these. (laughs) I'm good to go. I know how to follow the law. He's still not understanding how this works. He's not coming humbly as a child. He's coming with what needs to be done attitude instead of understanding. It's not what needs to be done for God. Rather, it's what God needs to do for us. He wants the formula. He wants the hoops to jump through. He wants the tasks to complete so that he can get eternal life and then just move on and add it to his possession. This is not someone who understands what salvation truly means. Salvation is given when we come humbly like a little child. Salvation is not for the self-sufficient. Salvation is for the needy. Jesus told us back in Matthew chapter 5, salvation is for the poor in spirit who understand that they have nothing to offer Jesus. Salvation is for those who see themselves as completely lost, completely bound by sin, knowing that unless the Savior sets them free according to His grace and according to His mercy, they have no hope. Salvation is for those who can boldly sing, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Salvation is for those who know that they have to sing, foul I come to the fountain. 
And unless you wash me by your sovereign hand and your gracious hand, I die. So Jesus is now revealing to this man that in order for him to gain eternal life, he must give up what is controlling his heart. Look down to verses 21 and 22. If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. One of the saddest verses in all of scripture, when the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. We would not be doing a disservice to Scripture to read that last verse as saying many possessions had him. He's so wrapped up in his identity of who his possessions made him and how much they gave them, he would not humble himself and seek to give them to the poor. It's so easy for us to read this and disassociate ourselves with this. But all of us truly know the possessions that hold on to our heart, that cause us to choose them instead of choosing Jesus. And Jesus knew that. And so he took this opportunity to talk to his disciples and to explain to them what's going on. So keep going in verses 23 and 24. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Of God. Now, before we go any further, what we need to understand and acknowledge that every single one of us in this room is rich. Every single one of us. If you look at the world as a whole, we are extremely wealthy people. Compared to the rest of the world as a whole, every single one of us in this room is rich. And I'm not saying that you've all had it easy. I'm not saying that we've not had to struggle to provide at times. But we must understand that we are all rich. And so don't start reading this and go, oh, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. No, we all are looking at this situation in this context. And Jesus plainly says, it will be hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because a rich person gets so comfortable relying on themselves. A rich person is self-sufficient. It is so difficult for us to come to Jesus as needy when we pretty much have everything we need and can provide it in our own self. Some have taken this and skewed it. But notice that Jesus says, he says it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven but he doesn't say it's impossible. So there's absolutely nothing inherently wrong with being rich. 
There is absolutely nothing inherently wrong with having resources. It becomes wrong when our reliance on those resources keeps us from coming to Jesus humbly or to not give up everything that we have to do what he's called us to do. And we know this is true because if you read the the instruction that is given in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and be willing to share, storing up for themselves treasure as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Jesus is not against us having riches. He's against riches having us. And in this context that Jesus is talking specifically to his disciples, it's very similar context to us in the Western world because the goal was gaining wealth in this context that Jesus is talking to. The goal was to gain as much riches as you can. And so we see that in the disciples' response of verse 25. When they heard this, they were shocked, utterly astonished, and said, then who can be saved? then who can be saved? And here's the answer that Jesus gives in verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It is impossible It is completely impossible for man in any way to come to Christ within himself. If we will just simply take an honest look at our own hearts and see the selfishness and see the deception and the desire for self-preservation, we will quickly see that the only way we can be saved is through the work of the Holy Spirit, changing our hearts, causing our eyes to be opened to see that Jesus is the Christ. And since with God all things are possible, listen, there is not one that is too far gone. Because with God all things are possible, there is not one who is outside the bounds of receiving God's saving grace. This verse should give us immense hope. Hope because it shows us how incredibly gracious our God is that he would save you, that he would save me. Understanding this verse should be our fuel to never put down the flame of prayer for our lost sons and daughters. This verse should be the fuel to never put down the flame of prayer for our lost family members and our lost friends and our lost neighbors. It may seem like now that their lives 
and the way they are living it would make it impossible for them to repent, to confess, and to believe. Or it may seem like even now, they, though they once knew him, have run so far away that they can't possibly find a way back. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There's not a heart too far gone that he cannot, through his sovereign grace, pull back to himself. That's hope. That's hope for our wayward loved ones. That's hope for our family. Let's be honest, that's hope for us. Because even though we may have called on him and professed him, we know we too are prone to wander. And if it was up to us to hang on to his hand, we would be forever in jeopardy. But he is the one who has caused us to come to himself. Therefore, he is the one who keeps us to himself. Jesus spends these final remaining verses dealing with Peter's question. Peter hears that and he wonders, well, what about us, Lord? What about us? And Jesus tell him, he said, truly, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man comes and sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on those 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But here's where I want us to focus. Those last two verses, verse 29 and verse 30. Jesus said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more. They'll inherit eternal life. So all the things we have been toiling for here on this life, all the things that we have felt were so important were things that we wanted to sacrifice our time with our family with, all the things that we felt like we had to earn and gain here are of nothing, even though they seem so important now. He's saying, you're going to earn a hundred times more, and that is eternal life. So even if you are called to give up your possessions, even if you're called to leave brother or sister or father or mother or children or your fields, I love that because that field there was their way of earning. I took solace in reading that this week. As we step into this step of faith in the becoming in the new year, I read that and go, okay, Lord, if I step away from the field, you're going to take care of us. If I lay down our possessions because of your name, we're going to receive a hundred times more. Now, that doesn't mean it's all going to be here. He will bless us and he will honor our commitment to him. But we've got to remember that it's not about our possessions and the things we gain here on this earth. It's all about eternal life. That's why he says in the last verse, many who are first will be last in the last first. When God transforms our hearts, we unclench our fists and all the things that we were holding onto for our salvation and security, we now hold with an open hand. Whether that be our money, 
our possessions, our stable income, our careers, our social status, our families. Now we hold those things in open hand because we know our true salvation comes from the Lord. So often we forget. Even as our hearts have been transformed, we forget, don't we? Our fists begin to clench back onto those things. We clench back to our possessions and our careers and our families. And we forget that we have been called to not cling to those, but to cling to the cross. Jesus knew that too. That's why he calls us to the table. Jesus knew that we would forget. But what did he tell us? What do we inscribe on the front of the table? You can read it right there. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because he knew we'd forget. He knew we would clench our fists again. He knew we would try to hold back to those things that we thought would bring us safety and security and salvation. But he calls us back to the table and says, remember. And then we slowly open our fists again and we cling to him. That's why we come to the table.